This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital and Medical Center, Ratchford Eye Center, MD Advantage, UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, and the Connecticut State Medical Society. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, a show that provides you with up-to-date medical information, and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and this is great to have you all with us in the midst of all the heat. Uh, Today's going to be a great show. Uh, Today, my guest by telephone in the second half is going to be Ms. Patricia Costante. Um, Ms. Costante is the CEO and chairman of MD Advantage. Now, MD Advantage, by full disclosure, is a one of our partners here on this program. MD Advantage is a medical malpractice insurance provider, and they do tremendous work and are new here to Connecticut. They have been in New Jersey for many years, really helping physicians stay in practice and keep the culture of private practice alive in the face of all these overwhelming expenses. So we're going to chat with her specifically about physician burnout. There was a recent survey that revealed that 44% of all physicians will encounter some form of burnout in their career. So we want to talk a little bit about how do we define burnout? And among physicians, what physicians are more likely to experience burnout? So we're going to chat with her in the second half of the show. Um, so as many of you may know, I, I like to remain active. Last week I was out cycling over at the Farmington Valley Trail, and I've become more accustomed to going on that trail or a trail rather than being out in traffic. Uh, the reason being I've been seeing more patients who get hit by cars. Distracted driving is a big problem, and you're really just a target when you're on a bicycle. So I'm out on the trail, and one of the things I notice is when you see somebody not wearing a helmet, it's become an oddity. Now, I still remember in the 80s when I was I bought a helmet and it was an oddity for people seeing you wear a helmet. But now it's an oddity to see somebody not wearing a helmet. So in my travels, I have noticed that most of the people who don't wear a helmet are older people, more senior people. Now, for some reason... Maybe they think their brain has some immunity to being hit or, well, I'm old. Uh, Let me bring up on a few facts. One is you are more vulnerable to brain injury as you get older. And the reason being it's kind of a simple one. As we get older, our brain gets smaller. That means there's more space between the brain and the hard skull that surrounds it. So when you hit your head there's a greater distance and more velocity to the impact against the skull. So it's pretty basic that way. So that's why in older individuals, when they hit their head, we often see bleeding a lot more often than we see in young people's brains. So the people most susceptible to brain injury are the very young. And I have to say, we've covered that pretty well. Um, It's rare you see a child or a young person without a helmet on a bicycle. Uh, But 
The other extreme are older people in which there has been. So, so we have the developing brain in young people and an older brain. And you really need to protect that. You know, we always have these uh, we always have these things where, you know, we're going to have helmet, bike helmet giveaways at some nursery school or some camp or bring your child to get a free helmet. Maybe we should be doing it at senior centers. Uh, maybe we should go to the senior center and have helmet giveaways. Um, maybe somebody at UConn or Hartford Healthcare want to take that idea. But I could tell you that in older individuals, you need to put a helmet on. Um, a lot of people are taking vacations. Vacations are a great thing for your health. I mean, seriously, really getting away from your job and kind of the rat race lets your brain kind of work at a different pace. You're more relaxed, probably getting more sleep that you need, but it lets your brain be creative. You start thinking of new approaches. You think of problems you may have and the solutions. It's not uncommon for us to find solutions and come up with great ideas when we're on vacation. So you might consider it work, but doing that really helps you rest. So vacations are an important part of your health regimen. Now, I'm not saying we become Europe where vacation is six weeks in a row or something or you drop out of society, but I think the the, the routine we have here of a one- to two-week vacation – when people tell me, well, I never take a vacation, that's not such a good thing to be telling people because that really is not this macho approach. It doesn't impress me when someone says, well, I just never take a vacation because I'm tough or whatever. Nope, nope, that, that's being ridiculous because you could work more efficiently if you take a vacation. And I'm not talking about a day off here and there or a long weekend it really has to be a block of time. So a week to two weeks is really a good period of time to just kind of hang it up and, and get away. This week, I actually, uh, my daughter Stephanie actually gave a lecture at Waterford High School. And she was on last week talking about it a little bit. And it was great. I, I actually went in attendance and wanted to sit in the back of the room and see how it all went. And it was great because coaches came, nurses came, parents came. And I think the take-home message was, there's all this fear of concussion. Concussion this, Johnny or Mary won't get into Harvard if they hit their head. That's not the case. And team sports really present so many advantages. We have good data telling us that it supports better behavior. Fewer students become addicted to drugs. Criminal behavior is down, again, with students who participate in team sports, because let's face it, with with young people, you got to give them a reason not to do something. So sports are often a reason not to drink, uh, not to hang out late at night, not to get arrested. Otherwise, you won't be able to participate in your sport. So again, it, it was great uh, being there and really meeting everybody at Waterford High School. Great presentation. Uh, July 20th, 1839. This day in medicine, Dr. Julius Frederick Kornheim was born. What's interesting is Dr. Kornheim proposed a theory that neoplasms, tumors, cancer, originated from embryonal rest cells. So he's saying that 
back then, I mean, this is, he was born in 1839, that tumors actually come from an alteration in cells from birth. And to some extent, he was right, because there are genetic aberrations. What we see more often is we change the genetic structure due to exposure to toxins and things such as that. The other thing he did that I think is more important is he was the doc who first used frozen sections of fresh fresh pathologic tissue. So you, used to, you see it on TV and something we still do to this day. A surgeon is in the operating room, sees a mass, wants to know if it's cancer or not. So they do what's called a frozen section. They freeze dry, they quickly freeze the tissue, send it down to pathology, and they will tell you whether or not it's a tumor, in which case you have to go through a more extensive operation, or if it is benign and you could do something less extensive. So that was back, he was born in 1839. It was an interesting point. My last point in this segment I want to talk about is gastric bypass in adolescence. Now, we talked a little bit on this program about metabolic surgery. We're starting to do gastric or bariatric procedures, not necessarily on people who are overweight, trying to do things like a gastric sleeve, which is the most popular bariatric procedure these days. But doing these procedures not only to promote weight loss, but to limit other medical conditions like diabetes. So in this study, uh, they looked at adolescents. There were 161 adolescents and uh, 396 adults. And they looked at those people who had the actual bypass operation, the larger operation, the so-called Ruin-Y operation. And they found that the percentage of weight loss was equal in both groups five years after surgery. But adolescents had greater remission of diabetes and hypertension more often than adults five years later. So it's it's very interesting to look at that from the standpoint of these bariatric procedures somehow altering the entire metabolism and not just doing it to lose weight. Obviously, before doing these procedures, there's a regimen to go through, including intense dieting, psychiatric support, and things such as that. So it's not just about weight loss. We're going to take a short break, and then I want to get back and talk a few more updates before we have our guest join us at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. Um, the phone number's here, 860-522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. Uh, one of the topics I want to update you on was something that's uh, near and dear to my heart, and that is ovarian cancer. Um, my mother passed away from ovarian cancer. It is a brutal type of cancer because it's so hard to detect. You're Often, the first symptoms are bloating and abdominal symptoms. And by the time it's detected, it's already metastasized. It's already spread. So it's one of those types of cancers. So there's no hope for patients with ovarian cancer. And studies done show that in the most common type, the high-grade serous cell carcinoma of the ovaries, um, they found that a particular enzyme, 
isocitrate dehydrogenase 1 is an enzyme that encourages proliferation of these serous cell tumors. So they have found a way to block the enzyme or silence the gene that has that has resulted in this to proliferate. So again, if you're able to block the production of this one enzyme, it's felt that this particular form of cancer will not spread. This gives new hope to people with ovarian cancer, but also it is part of the new breed of chemotherapy, targeted, personalized chemotherapy. So when we think of chemotherapy, we always talk about and hear about all the toxic effects. These targeted therapies really drill down on a particular tumor, and in some cases, a patient's particular gene structure to stop the growth of these tumors. So this is something we're going to watch um, because it's something I obviously have an interest in and I think many people do. I don't have to tell anybody that it's hot out there. And there's a lot of information that you're hearing on the news about heat stroke. So I just want to kind of put it all in perspective. First of all, what is hyperthermia? Hyperthermia is this rise in your core body temperature when heat accumulates, um, either through exercise or just from the environment. And what happens is your body cannot dissipate the heat. Now, our skin is a beautiful organ. I mean, uh, it, it looks nice. Um, people like tattooing it, uh, shaving it, whatever. But we often forget that this is the way we eliminate heat from the body. And... We accumulate heat either passively, just from being out in the hot weather, or through exertion. So there's passive heat stroke and exertional heat stroke. And heat stroke is just the most severe of this range of heat exhaustion, heat cramps, and then heat stroke. So we often ask, why are children and the elderly more susceptible to being affected by heat stroke. Because you have to understand that heat waves, just a heat wave like we're having now, kill more people on average than any other extreme weather event. Okay, so more than tornadoes, uh, whatever we're talking about with the weather, it's heat waves that kill more people. So when we get to it, you have to understand, it affects children and adults uh, particularly the elderly, because physiologically their system is not working sufficiently enough. It's not that efficient yet to eliminate heat. Now, if you take that and add in the fact that many elderly patients are taking diuretics, right, because hydration often cools the body, right? That's why you always want to have keep up your fluid and have cold drinks, helps reduce your body temperature, your core temperature. So when you think of someone who takes a diuretic that causes you to eliminate more fluid so it doesn't build up in your lungs, you're really trying to fight against two, two enemies at the same time. That's why it's so important to stay out of the sun. A heat exhaustion, 
is kind of interesting because it's something I think we've all experienced. I actually think I experienced it yesterday. So I went out early in the morning and played golf with my son-in-law. We played, um, well, we played the first nine okay, but it started heating up. It was probably about nine or ten in the morning when it started heating up. And we, we started playing the back nine, and neither of us played very well. And both of us really felt the heat. Uh, we were drinking so much fluid and just trying to keep up. Um, now, it could be that I'm just a lousy golfer, but I got to tell you, there was a big difference between those first nine holes and the second nine holes in both of us. So heat really affects your ability to perform. And that's why in athletes, we're so conscious of trying to keep them cool, especially now football starting, football training, uh, and uh, we've had deaths in the past, not only at the NFL level, at the collegiate level. So if your child is going out there to try out for their high school team or any other team, make sure that the coach is understanding of the need for fluid and cooling. On our sidelines and at all practices, there's a big tub, one of those giant tubs you get at Home Depot, and there are coolers full of ice. Because when someone's temperature goes up that high and you sense that they're going into heat stroke, you got to put them in that, in that tub of ice. And this is something we didn't have to do in the past. So I don't have to remind you that the climate's changing. It's getting hotter. It's not by coincidence that we have all these record heat waves. The last thing I wanted to talk about was something in the news um, called Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy. A young man named Cameron Boyce, he's 20 years old. He was a, a Disney star. I wasn't familiar with this. I, uh, my children are older. I'm not watching that much Disney. But this guy has been on a lot of these Disney programs and sounds like a great young man um, and died in his sleep. And it came out that he had epilepsy. So sudden unexpected death in epilepsy is really a non-traumatic, non-drowning, non-toxic type of death. And you don't find any anatomic cause at the time of death. So these are patients with epilepsy and who die in their sleep. It affects about one in a thousand patients per year. So it's it's relatively rare. And most recently, the North American SUDEP registry has been formed where they've looked at 237 actual cases of SUDEP and, and found certain things. The average age of a victim of SUDEP is age 26. So it really affects young people. It is often associated with people who are not taking their anticonvulsant medications. Um, and that's a, that non-adherence to their medication is a factor. It's more often seen in people with generalized tonic-clonic seizures, but, but many of the people who die also had treatment-responsive regimens. So they were on their medication, their condition was responding to medication, and they still died in their sleep. And some had what, what we call the benign epilepsies, not the generalized tonic-clonic type. So this is an area of neurology that we really have to emphasize and look at more and more in order to learn more about the brain and about epilepsy in general. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, 
Ms. Patricia Costanti. Uh, she is the chairman and CEO of MD Advantage Insurance Company, who have really been a great addition to the medical community here in Connecticut. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and in this half hour, we're going to be chatting with Ms. Patricia Costanti. Uh, Ms. Costanti is the chairman and CEO of MD Advantage Insurance Company. Uh, by way of full disclosure, um, they are the in- medical malpractice insurance company that insures me. And I can tell you that uh, I have never worked with a more responsive company uh, in the medical malpractice field. They are a leading provider of medical malpractice insurance. Ms. Costanti, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Alessi, and thank you for your kind comments. Can you tell our listeners uh, about MD Advantage and, and kind of their exciting presence now here in Connecticut? You've been an established company in New Jersey, and now you're here in Connecticut. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about MD Advantage? Absolutely. So MD Advantage writes exclusively malpractice insurance for physicians. Uh, We started writing policies in New Jersey in 2002, uh, and over the last three or four years started to branch out to contiguous states and have been very delighted with the progress we've been able to make with groups in Connecticut. And so that has been an important uh, state for us and one we continue to pursue. Well, we're very happy to have you here. Um, let's. I want to talk a little bit about physician burnout and something we want to talk about. We talked a little bit out at the beginning of the show. Uh, you know, some of the new data is that 44% of all physicians will experience burnout. Can you tell our listeners what is physician burnout? So physician burnout is being defined right now as a syndrome uh, rather than a diagnosis, and it's generally marked by exhaustion, um, by feelings of a loss of career purpose, no sense of personal accomplishment, and at its worst, cynicism leading to depression. So it's interesting, but how does MD Advantage get involved with physician burnout? So I think we're involved from a variety of perspectives. I mean, first and foremost, we're very concerned about the wellness of physicians because it clearly impacts their patient care. And so from a patient safety perspective, that's something that we're very focused on. We also um, publish a Medline-indexed and peer-reviewed journal called MD Advisor, Um, And MD Advisor is really focused on publishing contemporary literature, literature that has a professional literature that has meaning for physicians. And we began to see an influx of articles on physician burnout and decided that we would make physician wellness very much a focus of this year's activities for us. So it's the articles we publish the seminars we offer, and the podcasts we offer. How big a problem is it? Is it, is it as, as much as 44% of physicians will experience some burnout? 
So we certainly see from the literature a more recent study that was done by Medscape as part of their 2019 report talks about 44% of physicians feeling burned out. More recently, um, Harvard, in collaboration with Stanford and also the Massachusetts Medical Society, um, did a study of physicians where they say that as many as 70% of physicians report areas of burnout at some time in the course of the year. Both of those very, very startling statistics. What are some of the sources of burnout? What, what causes a doctor to burn out? Uh, I think I have some idea of it after 33 years of practice, but, uh, you know, I've personally not experienced that. What are the things that are happening today that really are precipitating the problem? So the two areas that the literature points to most significantly are the use of electronic medical records, uh, the complications in being able to document using uh, an electronic medical record that's not always designed to be user-friendly as much as it's designed to collect information. Um, and many physicians report that for every patient encounter they have, they can spend as much as an hour documenting that encounter. Um, other literature suggests for each hour of direct patient care, the physicians will experience two hours of working with an electronic medical record and looking at getting um, approval for patients to pursue additional testing. So a lot of it is around the administrative burden of medicine. Um, related to that, there is some indication that as physicians become employees of either large practices or hospital systems, the loss of control over their schedule and their day-to-day activities also contributes to burnout. You know, that's an important point you make, because in that survey, it seemed that physicians that work for large health organizations were more likely to have burnout than those of us who have remained in solo private practice. Uh, So I guess my question for you is, and one of the things MD Advantage has really excelled on, at least here in Connecticut, is keeping docs in their private practice where they have some control of their lives. Is that is that one of your goals as a company? That's very much one of our goals as a company. Um, when we work with physicians, we're very much looking to provide them with whatever services they need to be able to maintain those smaller practices. Um, and some of that we're able to do directly, other of that, others of that we're able to do by connecting them to outside resources. Um, I think that without a doubt, we find that as physicians join larger organizations, the lack of autonomy is really um, striking for them, especially when they're making that kind of decision mid-career rather than at the beginning of their career. You know, it's so important. There are so many topics surrounding this. But one I wanted to get to, I think that people don't think about is the important – I mean, we see people get burnt out in a lot of industries. But obviously, the implications are greater for a physician. And it's got to be costing the healthcare system more. 
having doctors who feel like they're not working efficiently. Uh, when you talked about the ele electronic health record, I mean, I got a flashback because it takes me so long to write a prescription uh, on this. It used to be I wrote it on a piece of paper, signed it, and handed it to the patient. Now, just the one task can take so long that it, it takes longer than the visit. And then when you finally master it, they change the software. So I guess my question is, how much is this costing um, the American taxpayer and the whole system? So there are a, a variety of estimates of that, but among them is that it costs about $4.6 billion a year in terms of lost productivity. Wow. Um, and a lot of that is related to the fact, as you suggest, that people are physicians and other health care providers are no longer working to the top of their license. Um, they're spending such an inordinate amount of time on administrative tasks that perhaps could be handled by someone else but aren't being handled by someone else in the current system. Uh, and that's an area that I think requires a tremendous amount of attention and one that we hope we'll get that kind of attention over the next few years because, as you're well aware, we're facing an enormous physician shortage in this country. And to think that there are physicians who could be providing more patient care and aren't because of these kinds of obstacles is really very detrimental to the overall U.S. healthcare system. What what an important point. We're going we're to take a short break right now, uh, and then we're going to be back. I, I want to talk some more with Patricia Costanti, who is the chairman and CEO of MD Advantage Insurance Company. We're chatting about physician burnout and its implications on patients and the whole healthcare system. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, on this Saturday afternoon. My guest is Ms. Patricia Costanti. She is the chairman and CEO of MD Advantage. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about the cost of physician burnout to the healthcare system. Uh, Patricia, which physicians are most at risk when they look at the data? Who, who are more suscept most susceptible to burnout? So I, I, I think that's really a loaded question because when you look at um, physicians that are most burned out, there's very little difference necessarily in the percentages of physicians that report burnout. Um, clearly, it's a little bit higher when you look at um, internal medicine, family practice, pediatrics, um, very office-based specialties where you're seeing a lot of patients very quickly um, and, as a result, generating a need to write a lot of prescriptions and do a lot of documentation um, and also be subjected to what I call unrealistic standards in terms of appointment slots. We talk to physicians who say they have appointments scheduled every seven minutes, every eight minutes. Wow. Um, so that it's almost impossible to get through the first hour of your day without feeling so far behind that you're not going to be able to catch up. And so that sort of hangs over you all day long as you proceed. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, 
physicians, particularly surgeons, um, who spend most of their time in the OR, report lower levels of burnout because they don't have quite the same administrative burdens. Um, and so we do see some differences from that perspective. I think also controversial, we see that women report feeling burned out at a higher percentage than men, and a lot of that seems to be correlated with the fact that they carry additional responsibilities in terms of home and child rearing. Uh, I think that hasn't changed enough uh, in the last decades to really account for the fact that a woman physician goes home and faces essentially a second job. And so her ability to go home and log on to the electronic medical record and do her documentation may be very different than that of a male physician. You know, it's an interesting point you bring up because, you know, the people who are kind of, I say word stuck, but kind of stuck in an office doing the same thing and trying to roll through it as opposed to a surgeon or or somebody who has a varied practice like myself where I'm out on an athletic field or changing sites and venues, probably less likely to burn out, especially surgeons from moving from place to place. But obviously this is going to have, the, the points you bring up are going to have impact on medical errors. And, uh, you know, really trying to see a patient in seven minutes is, is so ridiculous. But what have you seen at MD Advantage as these implications on medical errors? So one of the things we focus on very much is trying to sensitize physicians to the fact that burnout, unrealistic scheduling, all create an opportunity for them to make mistakes and that they need to be very cognizant of that. Um, that being said, clearly what we begin to see is that with claims, very often the claims come not necessarily only correlated with the outcome, but also with the way the patient feels about the physician. And so when you look at a physician who is feeling hassled and overwhelmed and at worst cynical, forming those patient relationships that sort of bolster the fact that a patient will be supportive of the care they receive is really impacted and, and a tremendous risk for the physician. Uh, and we try to educate around that all the time. I think that for physicians, that's another expectation then that's piled upon all the expectations they're already facing. And so trying to be able to provide them with tools and resources to be able to deal with that is an important part of what we do through our risk management program. Patricia, I guess the big question here is how do we solve the problem? How do we solve the problem from the standpoint of the individual physician as well as in working with the hospital or a healthcare organization? How do we solve the problem? I think what will go a long way towards solving the problem is being able to focus on things like the $4.6 billion in lost productivity, um, helping physicians to have 
the opportunity to have a greater voice in these organizations. I know that um, some of what we're beginning to see is the advent of the chief wellness officer, uh, a position that's considered equivalent to the chief medical officer in a lot of organizations. Somebody who's looking at how is productivity impacted by the expectations that are placed on physicians? Um, are the documentation requirements unrealistic? Are the appointment schedules unrealistic? Is there a way to reorganize the order of the appointments? Um, one practice talked about the fact that they used to schedule new patients in the afternoon and complicated new patients often caused physicians to work well beyond the hours that they were supposed to be leaving. And by just flipping that to having complicated patients in the morning helped them to feel more control over when their day would end and alleviated some of the sense of burnout. I think introducing scribes in more practices may make a difference, may relieve some of the burden of documentation. And I think we'll continue to see advances in technology that help physicians to document. I know that right now the feedback we get is that voice recognition isn't that helpful because of all the errors associated with voice recognition. Um, but I would expect that that will improve over time and that young physicians coming out of school will have the opportunity to master technology in a way that is different than perhaps what we're looking at today. Well, one thing's for sure, they've mastered typing a lot better than my generation has uh, <laughs> when it comes to using an electronic record. Um, Patricia, I want to just want to take time to thank you. Um, thank you for everything MD Advantage does to support physicians. And we're so happy to have you here in Connecticut and happy to have you as a partner here on Healthy Rounds. Thank you for your time today. And thank you so much. That was Patricia Costanti, who is the chairman and CEO of MD Advantage, who joined us today. Many thanks to our studio producer. Mike Olko has been on the board. Jeff Chandler is in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Next week on Healthy Rounds, we'll have another live show, and I'll be here. Healthy Rounds podcast can be downloaded free by going to iTunes. Next up on WTIC is Garden Talk with Len. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy.